Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. I tell you, you know, having you here, Justin, it's, it uh, it reminds me of the days, the good old days back in the garage. The good old days, yeah. Yes. The days where I picked up some horrible disease disorder <laughs> that is now killing me. Something clearly happened to people in that Pacheco garage. Yes. JP's yes. gotten the sickness. Yes. Tasty. Yes. You. Yes. I think me, but I don't really go to the doctor to find out for sure. You don't really want to know until... <laughs> yeah, until it's too late. I mean, you know, you die when you die, and the doctor probably isn't going to change that. <laughs> I'm guessing what you have is not curable. Probably so. It's why I don't bother going. Right. There you go. It makes perfect sense to me. Just is what it is. Yeah. Hair loss happens to most of us. So don't worry. <laughs> right. <laughs> I haven't experienced that yet, but I do. I do remember a, it wasn't quite a piece of advice from Jamil. It was like a, it was a warning of when <laughs> of impending doom. Uh, yeah, just when getting old is like really getting old, and uh, yes. so I don't really have hair loss yet, and I don't have this other <laughs> symptom yet either. But I remember the, you the, saying the wiener still works. The day you look down and the pubes are gray. <laughs> Is when you really go, you said this, and you're like, right, that's right. when you really go, shit, I am I'm getting old. old. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just waiting for that ball to drop, uh, uh, so to speak. <laughs> I forgot about that. that. See, I am full of solid advice. Yeah, man. No wonder this show was such a gem of the internet. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Justin and I were just talking about the loss of elasticity in our cradles. Here. <laughs> we were at the break. It's true. <laughs> You mean uh, things are swinging low? <laughs> the, the sweet chariot is going quite lower? Our microphones we were talking about, really. That yes, sometimes yeah. the elasticity in them uh, makes them sag a little. Yeah, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but my balls really hang up <laughs> a whole lot lower than they did when I was younger. Gravity I mean, these, always these wins. Things, you know, and, and here's the thing. People, you may not want to listen to this, but... <laughs> You know, like I'll be going to bed, and you know, I kind of like lift the sack up, and you know, you know, oh yeah, so, so I'm not yeah, laying yeah. on top of them things, so you don't hurt yourself. Right, uh, yeah, right. I've sat on it too, man. Right, yeah, yeah you gotta you gotta pull them up, flop them up on top, and, you yeah. know, Constantly. prepare yourself for yeah. bed. It's, yeah, it's a fact. Now, Bevo, I'm I'm imagining your experience that maybe with other parts of your anatomy, <laughs> you know, right. maybe something you know, you don't want to be rolling over and pinching one of those things off. Yeah, the the <laughs> yeah. gender does not matter. Gravity just always wins. Gravity eventually takes over. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. it's a uh, yeah. 
it's something that I, I seriously notice and that I experience every night now. Um, <laughs> I haven't had the giant avocado ball in a while, but um, I have I have uh, had to uh, pick them up and, and sling them uh, sling them around. Right, in yeah. preparation Move for over. sleeping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, sounds like the least of your worries right now. <laughs> well, it's still important to me. <laughs> It's just from a comfort level, eh, old familiarity, good old friends. They've been with me the whole my whole life. <laughs> they have, have, for better or worse. <sighs> well, right. Yeah. Yeah, just like, just like, I feel John Blickman has been with me my whole life. Yeah. For better yes. or worse, he's been there. He's been our sponsor. Uh, just one of the best sponsors you're ever going to have. Because no matter how crappy this show is, no matter what. He's in there. He's yeah. cutting the check. He's paying for the show so you don't have to. Great guy. Brilliant, brilliant engineer. Yeah. And just just one of the sweetest people I know. And making great stuff. Stuff that will improve your brew day, will make your brew day more fun, more productive, more consistent, uh, more reliable. And he's now doing it for the pro level as well. He's taken his genius and he's applying it and his, and his manufacturing knowledge and, uh, uh, you know, making pro level equipment that if you want to go pro, uh, yep. he's got it for you. If he's you, got five barrel turnkey systems that work really well. Right. And, and, and if for some reason not, I guarantee you he's going to make it right. You know, oh, yeah. that's you can back it up with a you know John Blickman guarantee. I'll personally guarantee it myself. Um, you know, if you if you decide to go with Blickman, uh, you know you're you're in safe hands. And if you you know if you're not uh, looking for the five barrel pro system, if you're not looking for all the bells and whistles, and you're just looking for uh, you know solid great uh you know uh brewing equipment there's a whole anvil line he's got it covered from from anvil to z whatever that yep. would be <laughs> anvil to blickman to pro there you go a a to b to p uh, he's got to have a z line i'm just thinking this is an opportunity yeah. for me to get in with oh, uh, blickman there you and then go. we can yeah. have it from a to z i, I didn't think say. of that that's good there you go. Right. That's, that's a gem that you can turn into tens of dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, if you make it to another homebrew con, maybe we'll see that by next year. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah. I was there. I was literally there. <laughs> right. In Providence, in my hotel room. Days uh, before the rest of us. Yeah, yeah early, I was, early. I was there. I was so excited. Yeah. I was really looking forward to it. And my darn wife... Yeah. And she's alive still. <laughs> so. yeah. At least that's good. It wasn't a waste. Hell yeah. You know. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, she t- had to have emergency surgery. She had uh, some ovary the cyst twisted. Oh, man. The, the thing is, it's like your testicles. Okay. Right. And oh. when one of them gets twisted, testicular torsion, it starts filling up with blood, starts swelling up. Yikes. And uh, it can be a real problem. It could kill you. And the same thing happened to her, and it, they started filling up with blood. The blood goes in, but oh, it can't get, get back out. Okay. And so one of these cysts was the size of a basketball, and one was Good the size Lord. of a uh, softball. Damn. And um, it was pressing against her other organs, you know, making her – and nearly killed her. Oh, goodness sake. So they, But the good thing is they got it out, 
Yeah. And, um, you know, almost immediately. Okay. Yeah, you know, she's better. I see. So she's back to work, working she's her ass fine, off huh? like she usually is. You guys both oh, do that. Yeah. You both just you work your asses yeah, off. And... More her than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate you throwing me in there in the, in the lunch. I think the you guys, I think you both do. I wonder when you guys are going to take a break. Isn't it time for a break yet? Oh, it was time for a break uh, years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, but uh, you're too cheap. You, you won't hire. You you won't replace yourself. Is the, the the problem is? I'd be so happy to replace myself. Yeah. One, I, I wouldn't have you know this idiot working for me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have some other idiot working for me. Right. Uh, but two, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, you know. Well, well, I'm glad she's okay. Yes. I, was, I was worried when you said you had to leave real quick. I was worried about Liz. So yeah, I I, I got out of the shower. I I got her text. I got in contact with the United, which was lovely. Really, and actually even refunded me two hundred eighteen dollars. Oh, that never flight. happens. Wow, didn't charge me to change my flight. Really, yeah, and flew me back. Got me home. I was home by uh, around midnight. Wow. That's really great. Well, finding out ten o'clock in the morning in Providence, yeah, and then getting getting me to uh, Sacramento at midnight. That's pretty damn, you know, with no notice. Yeah, and there was a lot of uh, weather cancellations and stuff over there. Wow, that's just brilliant. You don't Good hear those success stories very yeah. often. It did cost me one hundred and twenty dollars to take a cab from Providence to <laughs> to Logan. <laughs> okay, yeah. But you know, they got me on a flight, and uh, it was it was well worth it. Worth every penny. Yeah, yeah. And Liz is alive, so there we go. That's, what, go. that's what matters. Well, well, there's certain things that matter. Um, it's it's fairly important to me. Yeah, she's in the top ten. <laughs> uh, I'd have to make that list, but yeah, yeah, I, I imagine so. I imagine so. Uh, speaking of which, we are going to be uh, going over. Uh, John and I's must-have top ten list of of uh, brewing equipment. Brewing equipment for brewing beer in your brewery. I mean, have I explained it enough? Um, it's pretty good. I think so. Right. Well, and um, uh, I guess John's going to tackle the the homebrew side. I'm going to tackle the pro side, um, and we'll we'll see what we come up with. I don't know. If, could be very interesting. I like it. I think people like these sorts of things from uh, from those that they respect. You know, like Palmer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now they just they want to hear like what is you know what's I mean, your top put, ten things I you can't beer on your console here. <laughs> <laughs> top ten things you can't do without. You know, I think over the years you guys have had enough experience that you you whittle down that. You've probably been through some equipment that you thought you needed, and now you're like, I don't have even touch that anymore. Absolutely. So well, and when doing this list, you know, I was like, you know, I could I could brew without hardly anything mm. you you know put me naked on an island mm-hmm. but you know um oh yeah besides that uh yeah. you put me in a situation where there's no brewing equipment right and i'll i'll brew some beer yeah. one way or another I'm, I'm i'm making alcohol yeah and we're drinking right <laughs> yeah one way or another I, I can make it work so i don't think you need in a way, any equipment. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you you, know, you take somebody like John Blickman, and you strand him on a desert island. He's going to find some washed up crap, and he's going to put together stuff and start making. He'd probably make methamphetamine, right? And uh, <laughs> you know, just be out of his gourd. Yeah. Uh, but the rest of us would probably do 
probably do. He'd beer. be the professor on Gilligan's Island. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he, but more fun, right? And, <laughs> and with more meth. Yeah, he exactly. Would, he, he would definitely be making meth. Yeah. So that that may be so, Jay Z. That you know, as you become experienced brewer, you can do without a lot of things. But I still think that this list is like how you guys optimize your right, and, and make right. the best thing you can easily. Well, that's the whole thing, and and why I'm such a fan of like Blickman stuff is because. Um, it's improving your brew day. It's removing some of the restrictions, the, the comp- complexities, the difficulty. It's like surviving on a desert island. Yeah, you um, end up, you know, struggling to get food versus going to the grocery store, or the refrigerator, or cooking on a stove. You have to like light a fire with a you know couple right. of sticks, yeah. and you know. It, it's just very difficult. Why should brewing be that way? Mm-hmm. You know, spend a little bit of money, you know, get the things that are important. You know, don't waste money, but, get, you know, look at some of these things that we're going to talk about and implement them in your brewery and your brew day. Your brewing's going to get better. It's going to get easier, more consistent. And when you have that, I think you make better beer because you've, you know, eliminated a lot of problems. It's like you cook better food. When you have the tools to do it and yeah. the ingredients to do it. Sure. So there you go. I like it. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll get into John's uh, top 10 right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. All right. All right. Top ten things, a piece of equipment you cannot do without, John, in your in your brewing. Uh, let's start with, I mean, do we need drum rolls? Do we need uh, David Letterman saying these things? What would be number ten? Um, number ten, a pump. A pump. Yep. Now, see, see, the interesting thing about doing this in reverse is... Uh, yeah, important, you know. but kind of the least important in the grand scheme of things. Right, because you could use gravity instead of a pump. What kind of pump yeah. would you use? The Blickman has those uh, what, what, Riptide what, pumps. The Riptide pumps. I tell you, it's just genius on the uh, – maybe it sounds like a Blickman commercial. Like, uh, but, you know, when we're talking about equipment, I'm always amazed at, the uh, you know, the innovations that guy does. Oh, yeah. I mean, not that, so, not that I get paid anything from, easy by promoting it, but – yeah. I really, I really do. Th- you know, he took like the standard pump and put, you know, just just genius stuff on it. I'm always amazed, just amazed. So, 
Yeah, I'm, I, John's Blickman's not blowing me or anything. I'm just saying. Um, I'm always surprised. Mm. Yeah. Well, but yeah, a pump is a great and piece especially of equipment. When it blows me. That's really when I'm surprised. <laughs> That's even better. Yeah. All right. Uh, right. Right. Pump, very useful for things like if you want to do a whirlpool uh, chilling, if you want to transfer, you know, here to there um, versus relying on gravity all the time, which can be a real pain in the ass. And, right. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes blockage occurs and you have more resistance than the line that you figured. And, hey, a pump can push it through. So, right. yeah, pump, all very right. useful piece of equipment. When you have blockage. When blockage occurs, pump right. it. Did you hear that, Justin? When you have blockage, you yeah. want to pump it. You want to pump it. Okay. Got it. We're making notes. Right. I, I think squeezing hard and pulling a little more <laughs> will sometimes clear the blockage. Get the blockage. You, to, you need to clamp down on the hose, <laughs> squeeze, and pull. Okay. <laughs> well, what's your number 10, Joel? Oh, no. We're going back and forth? I, we can do it either way. Yeah. Why not? Why, what do you mean, why not? Why not? Oh, Jesus Christ, Justin. You, just, you weren't ready? I wasn't ready. Throw me. <laughs> well, and this will, this will, again, sound like a, an ad for Blickman, but uh, I had a Blickman beer gun. On the pro side, a Blickman beer gun. That's your number 10. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not critical, but when you want to, you know, submit uh, things to a competition or when you want to, uh, you know, send something out for lab analysis, uh, we have our full lab. But we also send out samples to other labs to confirm what we're doing as well. Hmm. We don't do it, you know, everything we do, but, you know, maybe a couple times a year we will send samples out to other labs to verify what we're doing. It's just a double check. And you know, having the beer gun, you know, you can get a zero parts per billion fill on a bottle hmm. with a Blickman beer gun. It takes a long time. But it's one of the only ways you can do it. And you can just flood that thing and then fill it up. And, uh, so for competition and things like that, it's, you know, it's, it's cheap relatively in the, in the pro world. And um, really effective and easy. Effective, easy to use. Uh, I think I've told this before. Oh, and. Yeah. Interrupt your idea. That's okay. Uh, because I'll forget mine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> And uh, we do, uh, on Evil 3 Day, we actually fill uh, uh, growlers from the fr- directly from the fermenter, and uh, we use Blickman beer guns for that. I knew I had seen one in your brewery, mm-hmm. in the back, like, not up at the tap room, and like I was trying five. to remember what that was for, and it was, yeah, that, for, to fill yeah. the, the, give people work. Even. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, Evil 3 Day, we'll fill growlers directly from the fermenter, and the beer guns are, are one of the only ways you can do that. You can't just, like... You know, walk up to the fermenter and crack open the valve and spit it into a yeah, yeah. growler. That'd be that'd be screwed. Keep it nice uh, and clean. Yeah. So uh, Blickman beer gun. Yeah. Actually, see, now that I thought about that, I may have moved it up the line. But <laughs> well, and I just wanted to say quickly because I don't remember what state it was. Either either Tennessee or or, or, or Texas, where they're allowed to from a bar, they're Texas allowed to sell <laughs> that and sell growlers. Uh, so you don't have to be a brewer; you could just be a tap room and, and sell right, growlers. Right. Uh, Oregon, um, and, a bunch of and gosh, maybe it was even Oregon. I don't. But I, I went into this bar, yeah. and instead of having twenty taps. 
20 Blickman beer guns. They had 20 Blickman beer it's, guns, too. It's in, it's in Oregon, I want to say. Okay. I think it's in Oregon. You I might be right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they had the... Uh, they had like carboys for for chandeliers or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's and even if you went in to order a pint, they would right. fill the pint from the Blickman beer gun. Right. right. But mostly they were doing a lot of uh, growlers to go. Right. So rather than have one little station, they just made every, every single tap. Single tap. Yeah. I thought it was great. I, I did too. I thought it was brilliant. Cool idea. Really cool. Yeah. So there you go. Maybe that should have been number one. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Uh, John, you're number nine. Um, the auto siphon and mm. similar products thereof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just saw a really interesting one at the the past homebrew con. Um, they had a, a stainless steel silicone uh, auto siphon type product mm. uh, company was selling. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, compared to trying to suck on a piece of hose to get a siphon going, the auto siphon just depends how know, well that, you know how to suck. Yeah, well, yeah, but and how and where your mouth's been, right? You know. But, uh, yeah, it just, you know, prevents a lot of contamination, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, bottle bombs and uh, strange fermentation. Well, see, here's where I got to disagree with you on this one, because I always hated any auto siphon. And maybe it was because when I started, the auto siphons that were available were pieces of crap. They never started the siphon. I could never get them to work. And so I always went with just a piece of hose. You know? That's how you pump it, man. That's right. Well, you know, well I, you know, or it's how you suck it. Um, yeah, I would yeah. snap myself off a fresh piece of hose. And uh, I, I'd start with like a turkey baster or whatever. And I never had any problems with that. But the auto siphon, I always struggled with it. And maybe mm. it's because I'm very limited. And very special. Mm. <laughs> that could be it. To each his own. To each his own. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's brewing. Everybody's got yep. his own way of doing it. It's, and it's one of the cool things about collabs. Um, we get a little time. Uh, I did a uh, collab with uh, some friends of mine in uh, Birmingham, Birmingham, England, uh, called Burning uh-huh. Burning Soul Brewing. And uh, just, just the... the Greatest guys in the world. I love these guys, uh, Chris and uh, Rich. And uh, we, uh, uh, why, why am I talking about this? Oh, uh, well, because you know everybody's got a different <laughs> different way of brewing. And every time you go and do a collab, you learn something or you you see something a different way that somebody else is doing it, and they're doing it successfully. Uh, you know, Burning Soul. I. I, I have tasted every single one of the beers not like special samples that they were giving me it's just like pull it off the tap while we're brewing and just freaking perfect and delicious and you know the reason is because they know what they're doing with their kit now if i had to brew on that on that kit i'm uh, it's not the greatest equipment in the world but you know they're making you know world-class beer off of you know what they got um, and I get I can tell you this story. All right, like I, I got time. Who, who's gonna, who's <laughs> gonna worry about this? Nobody <laughs> listens to the show, anyways. Um, we made a uh, imperial milk stout, six hundred fifty liters of wort, and we dissolved fifty kilograms of marshmallows into the wort. Wow! Yes. It was 20% of the grist by weight. 
<laughs> you know, a marshmallow doesn't weigh much. It's 70% air. By weight, it was 20% of the grist. Wow. And when you throw, I had not, I have not done this on this scale before. I mean, it's a brood on large scale, but when you throw some marshmallows into wort, you don't really realize because it's, you know, what do you throw in? Like a handful, a bag, big deal. The 50 kilos, when you put a marshmallow into boiling wort, um, it's going to—it's seventy percent air, and that seventy percent of air is like a boil, a mini boil over, going to happen every time you throw one in. And so we're trying to the the fifty kilos of marshmallows was bigger than the kettle we were using, but we got them all to dissolve in there. It took just—we were constantly throwing them in, it, it, and it's the most amazing thing. The the whole thing tur- started turning uh, quite viscous. And marshmallows are made up of, uh, you know, vanilla flavoring, uh, glucose, uh, dextrose, and uh, uh, gelatin. Hmm. There's quite a bit of gelatin in those things. Okay. And gelatin is a fining agent. We use it here in the U.S. all the time, and it'll pull yeast out like you wouldn't believe. And so I started panicking a little bit. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I wonder if... The gelatin is going to take the yeast out of suspension, keep this thing from fermenting. Mm, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I've screwed these guys up on this really expensive beer. <laughs> and um, But then I'm like, well, the gelatin will coagulate, and it should drop to the bottom, and it shouldn't really cause a problem. But then on the other hand, I mean, maybe it stays in, enough stays in suspension. Maybe the whole thing turns into like a solid mass once it cools down. Right. So um, – it was a lot of fun. But it worked. It did, None of that happened. All, everything worked out just fine. Okay. You can put 50 kilograms of uh, marshmallows. That's about all that will dissolve into 650 liters of wort. And did it clarify? Was it a clear beer because of the gelatin, though? Or was it a hazy? Or? Um, it, it, I, I think it should be clear. It okay. Be clear. Oh, you don't know yet? Yeah. Um, yeah, I wasn't, you know, they started fermenting and I, I had left. I, I right. met up with them at uh, GBBF, Great British Beer Festival, after that. But I'll tell you, if you, if you get a chance um, to be around Birmingham, go by Burning Soul. Um, just two of the nicest people you're going to meet in brewing and really talented brewers and uh, creative people and a lot of fun to hang out with. Hmm. Uh, I just I just love those guys. Not the um, smartest guys ever working with you in the mar- marshmallows, but nice guys. A little bit of a dumbass, um, <laughs> especially that Chris guy. I mean, really. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you heard the story about Nando's and when he killed two people. No, oh dear. But uh, yeah, it's. Uh, that's, I, I cannot walk past a Nando's without a little tinge in my heart. Oh of, boy. Uh, uh, regret and sadness, uh, Chris, Chris, Chris. Sounds like my life. What's your number nine, Jay-Z? My number nine is, uh, you're trying try to get me back on track. A little I bit. See what you did there. Just a little. Uh, a hop freezer. Oh, right. Because, you know, when you open these bags, you know, not you don't always work in 44-pound increments or 20-kilo increments. You uh, you have some left over. And one of the things, the colder the temperature, the, the better your hops are going to store. So we store the bulk of our hops in our in our uh, big walk-in, and it's like 37 degrees Fahrenheit. But once the bag's open and uh, no longer nitrogen flushed, we roll them up and we put them in the hop freezer. And they get used within a few days. But I think that that little extra bit of temperature control, dropping it down um, to, you know, whatever it is, minus 10 or 4 or whatever it is, um, 
really helps. So just a, a good giant chest freezer. Okay. It's, uh, and it's it's right next to the brew platform. It's real convenient. So when the hops come in and they're sealed from the supplier, fridge is fine. Yep. It's only after you open them you go to the freezer. Yes. Okay. And I think that makes a difference. I do. All right. So hop freezer, number nine. John, you're number eight. Quick disconnects. Oh, oh yeah. The um, I there have been many many connection options you know available for years, but for me. Uh, the more beers, stainless steel QDs, I have always been my gold standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had, you know, I'm, I'm a do-it-yourselfer. I've made several different brew systems, practically, practically brew on a new system every time I brew. Mm-hmm. And um, having... Because your, your beer ruins the previous one? <laughs> you think, but I just I just get a better idea, and, right, right, right. or at least I think I do. But having you know these quick disconnects on the on the ends of every hose, the male ends, and then the females on the on the uh, kettles or the fermenters or the pumps, you know, it just means you can snap a hose in, right. you know, swap hoses out, move them around real easy, um, very convenient. Right, you can so, couple up wherever you want to couple your hose, mm-hmm. and I, I, I'm with you 100. percent I think that you know there's a lot of times, especially if you're going to use a pump, uh, where you, you can move things around, you can change your configuration on the fly, and it's extremely useful. In the commercial brewing world, we use uh, you know mainly tricover clamps, yeah, yeah. Uh, sanitary clamps. Um, they're not as quick to use, um, but you know it. it Generally, you know, uh, gives you the the, the same that sort flexibility. of flexibility. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's it's very important. And yeah, I, I mean, to think of it, I, I don't know that we could brew in the commercial world without you know triclamps. I, I consider that one of the basic requirements. It's a given. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But I like it on a homebrew list. I didn't have QDs until I got your your brew system, Jamel. Oh yeah. yeah. And then I understood the the value and the ease of them. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's fantastic. For me, number eight is a good set of accurate measuring tools for volume. So, um, oh, yeah. you know, like ten, hundred, thousand mil. Uh, you know, accurate graduated cylinders. Um, so that, uh, you know, when you're measuring out things, I mean, we use a lot of pipettes as well and uh, pipetters, uh, when we're, especially when we're testing things like, uh, how much fruit do we want to add to this beer? And, uh, being able to accurately measure volume is, uh, really, really critical. Um, and I guess in the homebrew world, I would put, you know, maybe, maybe a scale, a good, accurate, uh, gram scale or something like that. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Could be, yeah. could be quite, uh, Quite uh, quite handy, and like I've said in the past, if it's a yeah. scale is good for measuring uh, cocaine, it's good for measuring uh, hops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I mean that, and I I think that's a great one, Jamil, because you are a man who has built his reputation on side by side testing, and you know all the recipes that you did and brewing classic styles, you know, um, perfecting your beers over time. I mean, you did that based on you know consistency of measurement uh changing one variable at a time and uh yeah i i i agree when i've when i've done my experiments and and you know for for the books yeah you gotta have um a calibrated reliable uh 
it's means of measuring things, whether it's volume or weight. Yeah, so very, very good point. There you go. All right. Uh, let's see here. Number seven for you, John? Seven. Oh, ball valves. Ball valves that you can mount on the side of a, a kettle or mm-hmm. uh, fermenter. Right. Just, uh, you know, kind of uh, 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 negates the need for an auto siphon. But, um, but again, very, very easy things to keep clean. Um, the auto siphon's and, really handy in things like uh, you know, transferring from a fermenter. You may not have ball valves available like in a, on a glass fermenter or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and for s- number seven for me, I went again with measurement. Uh, actually, I do have 11 on my list now. <laughs> oh, yeah. He just goes to 11. Um, uh, number seven, I, I'd be uh, you know quality set of narrow-range uh, hydrometers. And oh, a yeah. quality hydrometer uh, jar cylinder. So, uh, you know the, the 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 one hydrometer you get that goes from zero to a million. Um, uh, you know, it's it's just not as precise. And and really, when you're doing uh, uh, you know professional brewing. Um, having a set of narrow range hydrometers, which means you know you get one from zero to you know ten thirty two you'll get one from ten thirty you know ten twenty something to ten fifty something and you know so it's a, a narrower range so uh, the marks are more spread out the, uh, the, I see. your your bulb is much much more much larger and much more uh generous shall we say mm-hmm. and then a good hydrometer jar a clear one that's the right size and volume those things uh, really help to be able to precisely measure what's going on and especially if you're you're watching fermentation and you want to know where your gravities are and you should be checking that every day uh, to to observe the progress of your uh, fermentations I think it's a critical set of tools I see now this might that one might seem obvious to you Jay-Z but I never knew that exactly and I always thought that reading a hydrometer was kind of a pain in the ass with those with the marks too close together. Right. Because I knew I was never. I was like, right. maybe it's ten eight, maybe it's ten six. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I did not know that they made a, a more uh, mm-hmm. easier to read, mm-hmm. more accurate uh, device. And they'll. I mean, they'll even certify them. They come with uh, certification papers that they're adjusted correctly, and you know they're they're reading precise. Okay. Um, okay. It's. You actually legally have to have it for a distillery. I see. Um, you don't legally have to have it for a brewery. So there you go. That's a good one. Why? Thank you. I'm pleased with that one. All right. Um, let's do this. Uh, you want to take a, a, sh- a short break, and when we come back, we'll resume with uh, John's number six. six. Number six yeah. coming up. All right. Right after this. to brew has never been so disgusting this is brew strong all right we're back we're doing our top 10 lists of uh uh homebrew and professional brew equipment that we can't live without um and i guess you know you think about all the the pieces and parts that you have in your homebrew arsenal and your pro arsenal i mean you've got like a little you know uh, white totes of uh, fifty hoses, different pieces, pieces of things, hoses, yeah, little little devices. 
and the weird thing is, and I, so I wanted to do a a blog or something called the Critical Brick, mm-hmm. and this is from uh, my friends at Malmo Brewing, Tom Tom Stranson and uh, um, the, the great brewers there, but. Um, I'm pretty sure it was their brewery. Yeah. Uh, and this is where I started thinking about it is like when they, when they ran this hose into, uh, you know, some part of the brewing process, they, they take this brick and put it over the top of the hose. And without the brick, every brewery I've been to, there's like a brick <laughs> or there's a binder clip or there's a piece of wire or there's, you know, a stick or there's some piece of something yeah. that without it, they couldn't brew. <laughs> And so I was just like, and they're like, well, yeah, the brick's critical. I'm like, yeah, it's your critical brick. Right. And I'm like, every brewery has this. And so I I just thought that someday I'd wander around and I would find the critical brick at every brewery. Right. And and for a while there, I was asking everybody, what's the critical brick? And, um, and they'd be like, what? I'm like, you know, what? Until you piece explain. Of piece of crap. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every brewery has it. <laughs> yeah. Every brewery has a critical brick. And every home brewer has it. I remember my good friend Dave Saps's. His was like a, a binder clip and a piece of wire, you know, without which he couldn't brew, you know? Yeah. And, and, the weird thing is, you know, to find another brick of the right weight and size and shape, uh, you know, it's very difficult. <laughs> you can't just go out and buy these things. Right. That's why they're critical. All right. Um, so the critical brick should be on here. I think um, so. There you go. It's your number 12. That's my number 12 is my critical brick. Uh, should be on John's number six. Number six, yes. Yeah, and it is. It's, it is the Kettle Troop screen. Oh, yeah. And uh, I I've labored over kettle, you know, uh, pop screens and things for years, um, and uh, finally built my own out of the uh, that stainless steel mesh you get off of the uh, you know, braided the, hose. Yeah, braided hose, reinforced uh, hose, wash machine hose. Right. And uh, that that really did the trick for me. That solved all my blockage problems going into the pump going into the chiller all your blockage uh, problems yeah. freed up you hear that justin yeah i do yeah all your blockage problems. and to me correct me if i'm wrong guys but that's one that over the years it seems like almost everyone has tried to just create a off-the-shelf device but right there there's no one size fits all i'm, I'm guessing that's why you had to end up making your own john like we We've had sponsors give me some before, and just, you know, they yeah. never quite worked in everybody's system. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I the one I made for me, you know, fit over the end of the, the dip tube mm-hmm. on my, uh, my Blickman kettles. And so that became the Anvil kettle screen that we sell. Okay. Um, yeah, but, it, you know, yeah, you need something that, you know, stays on and, and screens the tube. Um, to keep you from, you know, st- standing there going, well, shit, how do I get it in the fermenter now? Yeah. And, you know, reaching for a piece of hose. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things, uh, it's that critical brick where, you know, <laughs> if you realize you don't have that, um, it kind of stops your brew day. There you go. Uh, for me, number six was uh, the ability to check the uh, CO2 levels in uh, in a beer. Because, oh. you know, on the smaller scale, 
uh, it's easy enough to wade and to use time and temperature in a chart, and you know what the, the CO2 level is on something. But on the larger scale, when you're trying to, you know, carbonate uh, 120 barrels of beer, you really need to know what's coming out. And um, I got some friends with uh, smaller breweries, and they, you know, don't. Uh, have the ability to check and sometimes their CO2 levels can be quite variable on some beers and I think that uh, you know, being able to check CO2 levels uh, is you know uh, carbonation levels in, in your beer is quite a joy and, and a necessity in in the commercial brewery that's interesting because you don't, you don't have that issue really at the homebrew level unless you're trying to win competitions um Mm. But you know, I mean, you got the even you've then got it's the, like a point, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you, in the homebrew level, you see it on your regulator. You know, you got it set to ten, fifteen psi, something like that. Right. But uh, yeah, I can see where you know you don't have well, and those things that, tend to be wrong too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but you know, really on the homebrew it. scale, I, I've never really cared what my carbonation level was. It was as long as it was carbonated you've always been quite gassy though john yes that's true (laughs) all right Uh, number five on your list oh um the wort chiller in all its glory whether it's immersion counterflow plate um pretty critical now we're getting the top five that's that's pretty critical piece of equipment i'm almost yeah i'm almost surprised that you know it isn't even higher uh, yeah, but, I kind of wondered I mean, that, too. There's ways to get around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could just seal it up and let it chill overnight. Right, like our, our friends in the Australia do. Yeah. The no-chill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. What what kind of chiller do you like? You haven't specified. You know, I've been using the uh, the Blickman Therminator for years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the plate chillers have the advantage of uh, compact size, Quick chilling, you know, good good efficiency there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the one I used before that was my fifty foot immersion chiller, which always worked every time. You know, very little hassle, right. easy to clean. Right. So, well, yeah. you, you can clean the exterior of it, which is yeah. nice. I um, I never had great luck with immersion chillers and and tending to brew in the summer where like even the water Mm -hmm. wasn't all that cold Mm -hmm. it wasn't until tasty talked me into using the therminator Mm -hmm. that i was really able to get my work down to almost pitching temp like really close to pitching temp Mm -hmm. quickly enough i just never had a lot of luck with an immersion one right all right um and and of course we should just mention everyone was so worried about how you well you can't properly clean a, a plate chiller but you know, Tasty's method was just, well, clean it immediately afterward when you're done. Mm-hmm. Run water both directions through it, and he makes great beer and never had an right. issue. I, I will yeah. guarantee you that you can't clean the interior of a plate chiller without taking it apart. Okay. I mean, that's one thing every every six months, every year, we have to take our plate chiller apart. I see, yeah. And clean it out, and you'd be surprised at how much builds up in there. Um, you don't think that even like on a homebrew scale, as long as you're immediately flushing it, like Tasty's method was, no. you still think you're going to get some buildup in there? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you know, as long as you're heat sanitizing it, um, the only real problem you're running into, I mean, you've got you've got to heat the things up, to, yeah, to kill off whatever's in there, uh, because 
it will build that material in there. The only thing you're you're running into is at some point your flow is becoming more and more restricted, mm. and you will you will see a reduction in chilling performance, and you'll see a reduction in flow. You'll have to put more pressure on it. Uh, John's one of John's items was a pump in order to push harder against something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know on the on the on the homebrew scale. You know, something like the Therminator is probably going to last you the rest of your brewing life. You'd have to run an insane number of brews through there before this is a problem. As long as you're cleaning this it. This is what know, I was right thinking. After, yeah. You're going to die before it becomes a problem. Yeah. I mean, y- you in particular. In particular yeah. But, um, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of – so we're brewing, you know, f- Four, five, six batches a day, um, you know, four or five days a week. Yeah. And, you know, so our plate chiller, you know, is seeing, you know, a, a lot more volume going through it. It's larger, but, you know, on the homebrew scale, how many batches are you brewing a year? If you're brewing 30 or 50 even, which most people are never not, do, yeah. if you're brewing once a week, it's going to be 20 years of that before it's a problem even and it may not even it may be you know 30 years sure so it's not a big deal it it is impossible to clean it by circulating uh liquid through it okay uh it it works but it's not perfect okay that's all i want people to know so but i but i think it's not a problem also on the other hand as long as you heat sanitize before you use it the next time i i think heat sanitizing is a brilliant idea on yeah. the, on the end. Yeah, and yeah. you'll you'll never run into a problem if you do that yeah just th- throw it in the oven 250 300 degrees for half an hour and or even just, it's, just you know circulate some boiling liquid through it uh, yeah. until the thing gets hot and you're, you're good that's what i did all right, uh, my number five is a precision thermometer for checking your other thermometers. <laughs> ah, good, yeah. Because, uh, you know, and, and I would throw a pressure gauge in there, too. Because if you cannot check, um, if you, you, you cannot rely on the instruments that you get. You can get, you know, some certified ones. We've got uh, a specialized device that actually checks the pressure of... The pressure gauges, um, because without it, they're all over the place. They get bumped, or they, you know, they just come in three psi off. And you know, if you're trying to carbonate, and uh, you know, you're relying on the pressure gauge on your CO2 tank and the temperature of your thermometer in your fridge, if those things aren't precise, you could be off like half a volume. Hmm. So. That's why sometimes I think people struggle with oh, it doesn't carbonate it right. You know, car, you know, forced carbonation doesn't work. Well, I don't. Even, you can't even do um, truly precise, uh, you know, bottle carbonation uh, without really knowing the temperature of the beer and really knowing, um, you know, the dissolved CO two that's already in there, and uh, you know, being able to weigh out precisely your amount of sugar, right? Yep. There you go. So uh, a lot of mine's based on measurement, I think. I think that's an important part to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. John, you're, you're number four. Four. Let's see. Ah. Yeah, this is where the, the chiller and number four could have swapped places. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Number four for me is a bottle of spray sanitizer. Okay. A spray bottle of sanitizer. I'm wondering, are you saying you don't need sanitizer? Or... No, I'm saying that it is a spray you know, bottle it's, it's of spray sanitizer. Form. So it's so you would still use sanitizer. You're saying that your your device is your number the four is bottle. is a spray bottle. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's a spray bottle. Yeah. Not spray sanitizer. Of sanitizer. No. Yeah. You Specifically could, for sanitizer. You but, could yeah. spray anything out of that thing, John. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I could spray yeast out of it. I guess, yeast, but yeah. um, <laughs> right. Everybody likes spraying things. Yeah, this is a good one. It's you know, there's just sometimes nooks and crannies you can't get to without a spray. You're not going to dip everything in a bucket. Well, yeah. and even if you do, um, when you when you dip something, you can have um, uh, air bubbles form. Hmm. Uh, it'll form a, like a little you know meniscus of air on on a surface, and that is not getting sanitized. Yeah, it's one of the advantages of a spray bottle is you can get that fine mist, and or you can get you know a stream or whatever you need. Whatever you need mm-hmm. shooting out of that bottle, you can you can yeah. get it down. Yeah. adjustable. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming John wants adjustable, and then you can you can spray that on, and it actually does a better job of coating the surface than if it was dipped into a bucket, mm-hmm. because again, um, you know a a, a, a a you know some sort of structure fitting whatever hydrophobicity yeah right can that was uh, exactly that's what that's the word i was <laughs> i was looking for uh can uh, uh you know trap trap air uh just like uh you know like beetles when they go underwater they trap air with them yeah, um yeah. and uh you're not that's not getting sanitized mm-hmm. so the spray bottle is actually a useful tool uh, with the sanitizer, as John's saying, to uh, a little bit better sanitizing there. I like it when low tech becomes high tech like that. You know, right? Well, there's a, yeah, there's a reason for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something so simple, you don't really think about, you know, the effect it's having. Yeah, but uh, can can be important. All right, what's your number four? Number four, pH meter. Oh yes. Very good. I mean, really, um, so what we use it for is, you know, not only the mash, not only our water. Of course, we use uh, uh, the Lamont uh, kit for, you know, checking our water, and then uh, the mash, and then um, uh, also for uh, daily, every fermentation, uh, we are checking the pH of the fermentation. Because uh, just like uh, specific gravity, pH follows a certain path during your fermentation. And one of the things yeah. that you want to do, especially as a prober, and I think as a homebrewer if you can, is to check your your specific gravity and your pH every day. And if you plot that out and, you know, your beer turns out great, plot that same thing every time. If you check other fermentations, if you see that there's a, a, a deviation on pH or gravity day to day, then there's a problem. You've done something different. There's a, an issue with that ferment, and you need to take action, or you need to at least be aware that that beer may not work out. So right. uh, you know it's critical to be able to t- uh, you know check your pH of a fermentation daily. I question I could, a little bit of a off on a tangent here, but mm-hmm. um, do you do pH measurement beginning and end of mash? Hmm. Um. Or just once during? We do a pH 
beginning of the mash, and we do a pH of the uh, the runnings, uh, okay. or the uh, and, and like a kettle pH as well. So you do you know, kettle full, okay? Right, which would be essentially end of mash. I've I've made them record so much data. They get annoyed with me, but yeah, our, our log. You see a lot of breweries log sheets, mm-hmm. and they've got uh, uh, maybe um, you know ten lines of them or whatever. Ours is just packed. I'm just like, no, I need every little bit of data because hmm. that's the only way you're actually going to be able to affect things. Maybe log sheet should be number one. I'm just yeah, saying. there you go. There you go. All right. Well, the reason I ask is because. Um, at the last homebrew con, I did my water talk, my, and um, I have a graphic where I show the, the decrease in uh, pH throughout the brewing process from the mash down to, you know, to the end of mash, to mm-hmm. the boil, to mm-hmm. the fermentation, to final beer right. pH. And I show it as a, a continual decrease. Right. Well, Martin Brungard said that in his experience that uh, pH tends to rise during the mash. And that just seemed wrong to me um, in my experience. And so I was just wondering if uh, in your experience. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, no, we're, I think we're getting a final runnings uh, pH. Um, no, it, it, it does tend to rise. Uh, the, the, well, it depends on what your water is. Yeah, that's uh, and, my and thought. If, and, yeah. if you're, and if you're fly, fly sparging or not, or are you, are you talking about just the mash rest? I think just the mash rest was he was he was referring to. I mean, because I, th- I think we would agree that as you sparge, as you louder, right. the pH will rise. Yes, do the, the okay. Right. But he was saying just during the mash itself. I would imagine that that is a possibility with um, you know the enzymatic uh, activity going on, the conversion to the sugars. It may be releasing some, uh, you know, or it may be utilizing. Um, uh, uh, just changing the buffer so compounds, yeah, and, and, and so the buffering is uh, is is uh, uh, you know being consumed, and you yeah. may that may be a possibility as well. Yeah, I think if you have insufficient calcium in the mash, mm. uh, then that may be a factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you have sufficient calcium, you're still going to get. Uh, calcium reacting with phosphates, generating mm-hmm. protons, and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. a general decrease. Isn't um, there generally enough calcium in the uh, in the malt? I guess it depends on where it's grown. Yeah, right. Depends on it's grown. Depends on what the the alkalinity of the water is right, that right. it's working against. Because uh, you've got so much phosphate in the malt itself that has a you know right. particular Ki. Right, there's a considerable um, amount. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, I didn't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but I was well, no, what I, I think that's been. fascinating. Um, you know, that's what people listen to this load of a show for is uh, yeah. us just wandering off on dispensing whatever. loads. It's dispensing loads left and right. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it, it, part of it might be uh, that. Uh, uh, you know, it, it depends on where you're brewing and, you know, what the water is and what kind of malts you tend to use. And if you're using, like, a, you know, a, you know German Pilsner malt all the time with uh, really soft water and you're making, you know, some sort of, yeah. you know, Pilsner all the time, you may experience that versus you're making, uh, you know, Irish dry stout with, uh, you know, 
or Burton water or something like that, you know, you're going to experience a whole different world of, uh, you know, pH change in the mash. Yeah, I, I think that's the case. Right. I think the important thing is to have the tools to measure it. And, you know, when the beer tastes right, it's like, okay, so those are the numbers we want. <laughs> those numbers aren't present. And that's that's right. rub. All right. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, what was my – so that was your number four? Oh, yeah, my, I had that was my number That was your number four, yeah, pH meter. meter. So John's number three. Uh, a good boil kettle. Okay. Instead of a crappy one? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a um, one that is durable – um, doesn't dent easy, doesn't corrode easy, um, transfers like a, heat well, doesn't like scorch. an anvil brewing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. kind of like an anvil. You know, but I mean, yeah, there's uh-huh. there's lots of possibilities for good kettles out there these days. I mean, right. I when when I started, I was using the uh, you know the canning pot, the the black enameled uh, me, canning me too. pot. Me too. Yeah, I had one with a chip in it that was rusted. Yeah. Yeah, everybody has one of those. I think yeah. with the one, with that one rusty chip. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you know, I don't taste rust. Yeah. It must be fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um. You're number three. Well, I would also, you know, on John's uh, kettle, uh, you know, uh, you know the brew the brew plant the the equipment that you're using. If you cannot get a good boil, if uh, you know, I would. On the on the pro level, the the burner and all that stuff, or how you're heating the kettle, is integrated into the kettle. You don't oh, buy yeah. a kettle and set it on a separate burner. You know, you are steam jacketed, and then you have your boiler, or you're you've got you know direct fire. You get you know, um, uh, so it's actually really critical. Mm-hmm. And you know, a good kettle, if you cannot get a a boil. You don't have to boil as vigorously as as people think, but you know, um, having a kettle that is easy to clean, a uh, kettle that holds the right amount of wort, um, you know, a kettle that'll come to a boil at times, uh, you know, fairly quickly, that's all very important in a in a commercial brewery as well. So, uh, you know, kettles kettles pretty good item. And on the homebrew side, uh, just looking at Palmer's list, by the way, with a good kettle, you can knock out a couple of the things on Palmer's top ten list, including ball valves and quick quick disconnects, as, oh, appo- right. as opposed right. to a kettle that doesn't have uh, valves at all, right? Yeah. So yeah. a good kettle, I think uh, Palmer is saying, might even include a couple other things on his list. Right. That's oh, an yeah. ex- excellent yeah. point there. I'm surprised. You're actually paying attention. Every now and then. Right. Uh, you're, you're drinking just the right amount at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my number three was uh, an O2 meter. Ah. Yes, very good. Uh, you know, it's important for consistently uh, being able to. Well, there's two kinds of O2 meters for the for the brewery. There's one for your your wort uh, oxygenation, and there's one for your package oxygen. And um, if you're a, a small brewery that's doing um, uh, mainly draft, and uh, you're doing out of your tap room. You don't need the package oxygen. It's not as important as the uh, wort oxygen. So I would go with the wort oxygen as being the more more critical one there. Uh, but if you, in any world, think that you're going to put beer in cans or bottles and you're going to send this out and it's going to go out to the store shelves and all that, you got to, for God's sakes, be able to measure package oxygen. If you are not... 
you're sending out oxidized beer and it's you think it's fine and you're checking like you know you can't package it and then like send it to somebody else to check because by the time it gets there the oxygen has already oxidized a lot of the beer and you're sending out uh something very questionable um so i would just urge everyone who wants to package beer make cans or bottles with mobile bottling or canning and all this stuff for god's sake spend the money on being able to test package oxygen it will represent your brewery and craft beer so much better than just kind of letting it wing in it and you're just like oh no it's fine it's fine i hear hear from everybody oh it's okay no uh we had it we sent it to a friend and like a week later he told us the the oxygen was really low it's like well yeah it was a week later so, Jay-Z, uh, because, you, as you say, people like when you go off on a little bit of tangent. That's why you learn stuff here. Would you – do you think that there's a difference between TPO, uh, total package oxygen, and, and DO? Because very often we just talk about dissolved oxygen, right? Uh, but I was speaking with uh, uh, Vinny up there at Russian River, of course. Yeah, TPO is, is what you're trying to measure. Yeah. That's he, – and he – you know, I, he's the first one I've heard really say the difference, and I just thought it might be worth pointing out to brewers. Right. And, and he was explaining to me, for example, TPO has to be measured, you know, right then. Yeah, yeah. Even, even driving across town to your right. buddy with a TPO meter yep. is not going to give you the most accurate reading. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, you have to do it immediately. Otherwise, the, the, the point is the oxygen is very uh, reactive, and it is oxidizing the compounds in the beer immediately. Mm-hmm. Oxidation happens pretty much right away. And within, you know, a few hours, it's all done. It's oxidized the crap out of your beer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, you absolutely have to do that uh, right away. Okay. Yes. All right, uh, so that was my number three. Yeah, three. so now we're on Palmer's number two. We're getting to the top here. Good mash ton. Ah, mash ton. Not a good yeah. mash ton. Not a crappy yeah. mash ton. A good one. Yeah. Well, there, you know, there's lots of options. I mean, these okay. days you've got your brew-in-a-bag setups that are very easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can be a cooler. It can be a kettle. Um it can be a kettle with a false bottom or a cooler with a false bottom. Right. But I think having that effective wort separation system built into your mash tun and mm. and some degree of insulation built into your mash tun, especially at the homebrew level, right. makes a big difference in quality wort. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, to this day, one of the best mash tuns I had ever had in terms of keeping heat and separation was that orange igloo cooler with a false bottom. Yep. You know, I couldn't, like, change the temperature, and I couldn't do steps with it, but I it would stay right where I put it for the entire hour. There you go. It didn't budge at all. Right. And, and I like that you're pointing out uh, uh, wort separation and, and insulation. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's... The name of the game, and you know, interestingly, we we did that show uh, two weeks ago on um, all-in-one systems. Mm-hmm. You know, where if you combine the kettle and the mash tun, like in the grandfather or the anvil forge, um, that is an extremely convenient way to to mash and and boil. Uh, really cuts down on the amount of cleanup and uh, that you have to do. 
So I don't know. That's I was I was interested. I was I thought it was interesting when I was putting my list together that Kettle and Mash Ton came out there at three and two for mm-hmm. myself. Well, there you go. For me, uh, number two, and I'm going to squeeze in my my number eleven. My eleventh one here, uh, and and actually, I really went uh, back and forth on this. Was um, the ability to do cell counts, which is going to be you know um, either there's, there's automated equipment now, which yep. will do it for you consistently and fast, and um, that's really nice. Or you can get a microscope and a hemocytometer. But if you're not good at doing it, the results can vary uh, but it's very important towards uh, pitching the right amount of yeast and getting great fermentation and checking viability and all that stuff and then I would throw in there uh, should you forgive me for throwing more in uh, uh, you know like HLP tubes or plates uh, a way to check for contamination in your in your pitch so uh, every time before we pitch a new beer uh, from a previous beer we take a sample of the yeast we're checking viability we're doing cell counts we're uh checking for contaminate contamination hlp we're doing uh uh you know plates to, to look for uh, morphology changes we're you know we're checking the yeast and i guess you know it's uh this is checking the yeast that would be my my number number two is uh making sure that you know, the yeast you're going to pitch is the right amount, the right quality, and that's really what's going to give you, uh, you know, great beer. So uh, that would yeah. be my number two. I can't live without that. Now, Jamil, just to, to clarify, you and Heretic are doing your own yeast management. You're not buying new yeast every time? Uh, not every time, but uh, we do buy new pitches from, uh, you know, various uh, yeast suppliers like uh, White Labs. Um and uh, generally, we will run about um, 15 generations or so, uh, okay. 10 to 20 generations. It depends on when we start seeing any sort of change in the morphology on the plates or we see any sort of issues with you know, the, the, the way the fermentation performance is happening. That's why you want to be able to check with precision your, your precision hydrometers, your precision you know, pH, these things during fermentation. You want to be able to uh, look at the yeast and see how an individual cell is growing. If it starts looking different, uh, that's an issue. You want to check for contamination. And so just as a prophylactic uh, measure, we uh, buy new pitches for yeast uh, every so often um, so that we start up a new new culture and we, we you know do it in parallel with at the same time we're running we tend to run like two pitches of 001 at the same time so that at any time and we, we try and stagger them so that at any time if if there's a problem with one uh, we can switch over to the other and use the other for you know, multiple beers, and then we order up a new pitch of of the other to, to again to keep two two uh, two ancestries running yeah. parallel, and so uh, you know it gives us uh, you know some protection that way. Yeah, good, good, good planning. Yeah. 
I like to think so. We've learned from experience where we've been screwed royally <laughs> and dumped tens of thousands of dollars in there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> All right, we're getting down to, to number ones here. Number one. John. I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same one. Could be. But uh, for me, the fridge and temperature controller. That is a mm. maintainable, controllable fermentation environment. I will, I will say, when when I was homebrewing, when I finally got uh, actual control of the beer temperature for fermentation, it was night and day difference. It radically changed my world and the quality of my beer. Um, I think it's it's one of the most precious things you can do. I mean, would you say you didn't even start winning awards until you had temperature control? No, I won awards before that. Okay, um, you know, it was more hit or miss. Until okay. then, and then I was just like, "Oh, damn! I know what I'm doing now." I see. And I could, I could, you know, ferment. You know, it, it didn't even matter if the recipe was good. I could, you know, make a make a winner. Got it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Same. Same here. I mean, being able to control that um, just makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jay Z. My number one. Now. I've got to preface this with, I'm assuming in your professional brewery, you've got fermentation temperature control. If you don't, then I don't know what the hell you're doing there. (laughs) You're not a professional brewer. If you're not out of business yet, you will be. You You, should be soon. You will be soon. Or it should be soon. Well, I I guess you could do it without it. Um, Well, okay. Let's take uh, certain times a year you wouldn't be able to brew, but yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, depend. Okay, the There's rare the rare barrel, for example. Yeah. Right now, I guess their their fermentation, their initial fermentation is probably temperature controlled, controlled. Yeah. and then afterward they just they sort of pick a warehouse that's moderately. You know. yeah, 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 yeah. No, that doesn't qualify. Okay. That doesn't qualify. Okay. Um, good try though. Yeah. But I imagine there's some people in Belgium somewhere where when they pitch yeast, they don't even really pitch yeast. It's like, well, fermentation is up to God, and you know, sure. um, <laughs> right, and and the weather, and and whatever. Um, my number one is zinc, mono or heptahydrate. Really, zinc. I can't be in business without zinc. I'll figure out. How I'm that's, writing their list down. Mono yeah. or heptohydrate? Yeah, hept, hepta, heptahydrate. Okay. Um, I, I prefer the mono because uh, there's less water in it, and I'm not paying for water. What does this stuff do? Well, zinc is critical to fermentation. Fermentation is critical to brewing. Um, the vast majority of wort is zinc deficient. And especially when you want to repitch yeast, especially when you have consistent fermentation, especially when you, if you want to ferment big beers, you have to have zinc. Um, the amount of zinc that's coming from the malt is dependent on the growing conditions, the soil, how much zinc it could it could take up from the soil. A lot of the minerals that uh, yeast need are present in the malt, but it tends to be zinc deficient. There's just barely enough. It's interesting. I was talking to somebody about this. I don't know. Knees person or something. That Liz. Or, yeah, or, or maybe like uh, Charlie or somebody. Um, 
it seems that yeast have developed, the yeast that we're using today have developed over time to match up kind of with the ingredients that we have, the malt, and, you know, just generally, it all just kind of works together, and everything has kind of become self-limiting to, well, all right, if you want to make a beer of 4 to 5% alcohol, well, all the ingredients are there, and the malt wants to become, you know, the, the malted barley, the barley will become malted because of, you know, its natural proclivity to grow the sprouts and to do all this stuff, and uh, the, the the malted barley will become sugary because, well, it's just the enzymes are there to do it, and you just kind of hit the certain temperature. You can just kind of half-ass all this stuff, and you know there's the nutrients there for just about any yeast to produce a four to five percent beer. It it will just all happen. That's pretty impossible not to make beer you know the the natural things have had natural selection has kind of driven us towards it'll make beer but when you want to make really good tasting beer when you want to make um high alcohol beers when you want to do all this you're pushing it past that well here's where natural selection has gotten us you have to really it's like, you know, having everybody run a race. It's like, well, natural selection, yeah, people are alive, but <laughs> some of us ain't going to run as fast as others. You yeah, know? yeah. And, but then you've got, you know, people that, you know, Usain Bolt or whatever, you know, that's something special. Yeah. And maybe that's steroids. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> it is whatever it is. And, it, you know, it's, it's because... Uh, you know, you've provided a certain environment, you you know, certain uh, parameters that that make that possible. But it's not going to happen every day, and a big part of it is wort's just deficient in zinc. Hmm. So, would you say zinc is almost the steroids of the brewing? Uh, yes, uh, yes. I, I am. I am on steroids. Yeah, <laughs> literally, and uh, my brewery is uh, figuratively. Okay, if, if, if you go by that, yeah. I would go with zinc. Well, I would say zinc is to iron what iron uh, zinc is to yeast what iron is to blood. Okay, there you go. There you go. All right. And well, you said just to clarify that you prefer the monohydrate, the mono. Well, because now less, is it a zinc water. sulfate monohydrate or just zip pure zinc with water attached? Uh, zinc sulfate monohydrate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think there's there's sulfate in all of them, right? Um, yeah, and there's heptahydrate. So if you buy the the zinc, uh, I think uh, Murphy's or whatever it is, um, the English based one, um, mm-hmm. it's heptahydrate. So you need to use like seven times as much or whatever, or, or not seven times as much. Um, there's seven water mo- molecules versus one mo- water molecule. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is, uh, you know, a, a lot of the weight is water weight. Then there you go. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you're just paying for a bunch of water, um, uh, but you can get food grade either way, and um, you need a, a tiny amount. So in in a thirty U.S. barrel batch or thirty some odd U.S. barrel batch, we use like four grams. Oh wow! Uh, you can use too much, and you can poison your yeast. You can use too little, and essentially, if you ever have fermentation, and I tell commercial brewing friends of mine, I'm like. 
They're like, yeah, this fermentation was taking forever on this big beer, and especially collaboration. I'm like, we're going to do a collab. You need to use some zinc mm-hmm. because when you have slow, uh, big fermentations, it's because there's not enough zinc. I guarantee it. It'll ferment out at, at a nice, steady pace and complete uh, you know, attenuation if you have all the right nutrients there. If you have healthy yeast and you have every compound that they need to do their jobs, they will do their jobs. Um, if you don't, that's when they struggle. That's when they slow down. That's when things fail. That's when the quality of the beer fails. And it's down to the one nutrient you need that is deficient almost all the time. Other than, you know, you're already giving them air or oxygen. Zinc. Zinc, 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 zinc. Okay. I can't run my brewery without zinc. There we go. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I think that was a, a good show, a nice list. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And you know what, folks? Here's what I've, I'm going to do for you. A lot of you get your uh, podcast over on iTunes or Google Play and all that, and you, and you never see the website. But with this particular show, I've marked down this entire list uh, and separated them, both both John Palmer's and, and Jamil's here. And I will put links to the things that they discussed, and you can come see the whole list. And if you want to pick some up yourself or just see exactly what they're talking about, it'll be on the Brewing Network website on this show page. There you go. Actually, cool. seeing you actually did something useful. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't One talk thing. about yourself being useless. <laughs> Again. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I uh, thought that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great show. I think... Uh, I'll come back and do this again. Uh, I don't know. Well, all right. Another yeah. Six months or <laughs> two weeks? <laughs> Who knows? We'll just have to. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens. Well, keep taking care of yourself. We like to see you back here. Well, I like to take care of myself. Yeah, you know that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a time when uh, you know you need a little me time. That's right. You break out the candles. <laughs> at least music. once. A, at least once a day. A little potpourri, <laughs> some lube, <laughs> some Legos, tissues, yeah. some Legos, some zinc, some zinc. That's all I got her to take off her head. Oh, she, see, she put it back. See, she, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. Ah, the good old brewing network. Yeah. Where would I be without you guys? Uh, I don't know. Somewhere healthier, probably. Yeah, somewhere healthier, rich, <laughs> uh, yeah. famous, whatever it would be. Oh, I'd bro. be there. I'd, yeah. <laughs> I'd be somewhere other than here, that's for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong, everyone. Brew strong, everyone.